Scripture reading this evening will be taken from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for the righteous man dwelleth dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. As was mentioned a moment ago, we have a number of folks that are away in Missouri conducting a VBS and we pray that they will have a safe journey back home and we're glad to hear that the report that was given today was positive and that much good we believe will take place and who knows some of the young people that have the opportunity to hear about Jesus it might very well be the first time that they have the opportunity to hear about the Lord about his church and about the blessings that are to be enjoyed in Christ tonight we're going to be looking at 2nd Peter chapter 2 the passage that Cameron read for us a moment ago I want to spend some time tonight and talk about living righteously in an unrighteous world. I think many of us can appreciate America of old in contrast to present day America. Those of us that have been around for a while have seen catastrophic changes in our country. It's my conviction that America was at one time a God-fearing, Bible-believing nation of people. And it seems that many of the things that people at one time cherished in this nation are now no longer held in high esteem. And so how do we, as God's people, as the church... How do we live righteous lives in an unrighteous world? I want to use tonight as the basis for our study the passage read a moment ago from 2 Peter chapter 2 because in verses 6 through 8, we have an example of a righteous man living in and among unrighteous people. And so I want to begin by talking for just a minute or two about, by way of context, the destruction of Sodom. And then we're going to talk in the second place about the distress of a godly soul. We begin by looking at what has been recorded for us by Peter. And Peter here is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 1, he would point out that the prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so what Peter is recording here is truth. It is fact. And he is doing this so that we can learn from the past. And there's a lot to be learned from the past. As we look back to the past, I want to call attention, first of all, to the reputation of Sodom. In verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 2, 
Peter mentions the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 13, you'll find that a strife arose between the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham. Abraham then instructed Lot to choose where he wanted to go. And the bottom line was that Lot saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan, and he chose to go in that direction. And the reason was because Abraham wanted no strife to exist between the two. And you have to appreciate that. But now in Genesis chapter 13, Moses gives insight into the spiritual welfare, if you please, of the people who lived in Sodom. The Bible says that the people were exceedingly wicked and sinful. Now over in Genesis chapter 18, we have again another picture provided for us concerning Sodom. God is about to reveal his plans for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so in that context, he talks about the grievous sin of Sodom. It's interesting to note that in chapter 13 as well as in chapter 18, the commentary given about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the same, wickedness, sinfulness, unrighteousness. Well, what about the revelation concerning Sodom? What was it that God was going to do to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible tells us that God informed Abraham of his intent, and Abraham in the long ago asked the question, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God will always do right. We may not understand his timetable. We may not necessarily understand how God operates in the affairs of mankind, but we have to understand this. We have to appreciate this. God knows what he's doing. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham literally bartered with God on behalf of the people of Sodom. And God was willing to spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if ten righteous souls could have been found. And yet they couldn't be found, could they? So as we think about the revelation that was given concerning Sodom, there are two things that I want to share with you very quickly. First, I think God's willingness to spare Sodom and Gomorrah lends insight into the compassionate nature of the God we serve. It tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, based on 2 Peter chapter 3, at verse 9. Ezekiel, in the long ago, said that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. It gives God no great delight to see people living ungodly lives and then to face his wrath or his condemnation. And then there is a second thing that I want to call attention to. We talk about God's compassion towards Sodom, but ultimately his condemnation towards Sodom. As I mentioned a moment ago, ten righteous souls could not be found. And so God set in order or set in motion the events to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible tells us in chapter 19 of the book of Genesis that brimstone and fire rained down upon those cities. Now, if you look at verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 2, listen to what Peter said in the long ago. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now, as we look at the past, the fact of the matter is, and this is an inspired book, and the things that have been recorded in the New Testament have been purposely written, given unto us by Almighty God. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter, and he's looking back at the past, and Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that whatever things happened and have been recorded from days gone by have been written for our learning that we by patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so we can learn by looking at the past but as we think about the implications of present day society what are the implications well Peter points out that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction and then he says that he made them an example to all who will live ungodly. I think what God is saying here is he means business. When God says he's going to do something, when he tells us he's going to deal with wickedness in a certain way, then he will. In no way does that negate his kindness, love, mercy, grace, his desire for the salvation of the souls of men and women. But what God is saying is, look, if you choose to live an ungodly lifestyle, you need to understand punishment is coming. And I think that's really the purpose here. Because Peter here, in citing this instant, instance, said that they serve as an example to all, A-L-L, all who will live ungodly. Not just people in America, not just people in Great Britain or in some other country, but rather all people who choose to live ungodly will one day stand before the Lord. Now, what about the distress of godly lot, of this godly soul? Drop down and look at verse 8 in chapter 2. Well, look at verse 7. In verse 7, the Bible says that God delivered righteous lot. And so first there is the escape of Lot. And we know that Lot had the opportunity to get out of town. He warned, or rather warnings were given to his family members. And the Bible says that when word came to his sons-in-law, they thought he was joking. One can only wonder whether or not they had been influenced by their environment. They chose to believe that what they heard was nothing more than a joke. And there are people like that today. We preach, we teach, and yet sometimes people ridicule, they make fun, they laugh at it. Well, it may be funny today, but it won't be funny one day. Now, what about the exasperation of Lot? How did Lot react to living in an unrighteous environment. The Bible describes him as a righteous man. And so here was a righteous man living among the unrighteous. Well, listen to what it said. God delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. Do you know what the sin of Sodom was? Homosexuality. 
homosexuality. The word oppressed. Some translations use the words vexed or distressed. Here's what it means. To tire down, to afflict or oppress with evils. When I look at the people of Sodom and I think about here is Lot, this righteous man dwelling among these people, what comes to my mind is that their brazen, shameless conduct hurt him to the core. Tore him up, as we would say. It hurt his soul. Sometimes we see individuals living unrighteously. We watch people that plunge headlong into sinful lives. It hurts us. Because we understand that there are consequences to a life of sin. And then in verse 8, the text says that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So when you think about the reaction of Lot to what he saw and what he heard, it's upsetting, isn't it? As a matter of fact, the word tormented means to harass. Some would say it means to distress. I think about people that are trying to live a godly life. They're trying to live above the muck and the mire of sin. And sometimes they are harassed. They are distressed at what they see and what they hear. Now, what are the implications for us? What's the application? What is our reaction to what we are seeing and hearing in modern-day America? Let me just cite for you some things that I think are what I would call hot topics. I said a moment ago that for many of us, America today is not the America of old. A lot has changed just in my short lifetime. I've seen a lot of changes. Some good, some not so good. And some just downright horrible. Well, what about, what about America and what we're facing? Let me begin by stating that since, since 1973, approximately 55 million Babies have been aborted in this country. That ought to get our attention. You think about 55 million innocent children have been slaughtered. We talk about barbaric practices. And there have been a lot of barbaric practices in days gone by. I think about the Assyrian people. They were an ungodly, barbaric group of people. Some would say that they delighted in hurting people. I've read or heard where they would literally stack the heads of people in a pile. You want to talk about barbaric practices? Well, what about abortion in our country today? Let me read for you a couple of things I want to just touch on. I really believe, and I think that the scriptures teach, that life begins at conception. We have been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. The psalmist said in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God sees that substance in the womb before it is formed. What's that tell you? 
In Luke chapters 1 and 2, we read about the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. And in those two chapters, we first read about John the Baptist. And the Bible tells us that when the mother of John the Baptist saw the mother of Jesus, Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb. Now, in chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus. And the Bible talks about the baby lying in a manger in swaddling clothes. The same Greek word, brephos, is used to describe the baby in the womb and out of the womb. What does that tell you? It says that God deems that fetus in the womb as a living, breathing human being, or a living human being, as we would say. What about the stages of development? Did you know that at eight to nine weeks, the eyelids have, become, have begun forming and hair appears? By the ninth and tenth weeks, the preborn child sucks, sucks the thumb, turns somersaults, jumps, can squint to close out light, frown, swallow, and move the tongue at eight weeks. And then by 12 weeks, by the end of the third month, all arteries are present, including the coronary vessels of the heart. Blood is circulating through these vessels to all body parts. The heartbeat ranges during this fetal period from 110 to 160 beats per minute. All blood cells are produced by the liver and spleen, a job soon taken over by the bone marrow. Vocal cords are complete, and the child can and does sometimes cry silently. The brain is fully formed, and the child can feel pain. Now, do you remember just recently the trial that was ongoing in Pennsylvania with regard to Kermit Gosnell, the medical doctor? And he was a practicing abortion doctor. Let me just read for you what was said about Dr. Gosnell. And this gives insight into this barbaric practice that we call abortion. He was performing abortions beyond the 24th period, 24 week period. I just read to you what occurs in the first few weeks of pregnancy. Unbelievable to me that we can't that we can't somehow fathom that is a human being. If that baby has a heartbeat, what does that say? It says to me that that baby is alive. Former clinic employees testified, testified that Gosnell routinely performed illegal late-term abortions past Pennsylvania's 24-week limit. I'm against any abortion wrong. Why? Because it's taking human life. The Bible says God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. He goes on to say he delivered babies who were still moving, whimpering, or breathing, and that he and his assistants snipped the newborn spines as he referred to it. And then listen to this. Prosecution experts said one was nearly 30 weeks along when it was aborted. 
And it was so big that Gosnell allegedly joked it could walk to the bus. Ha ha, real funny. You talk about somebody who lacks a heart. You talk about somebody who is insensitive. A second fetus was said to be alive for some 20 minutes before a clinic worker snipped its neck. Bear in mind that some of the practices that are ongoing, some of the fetuses that he aborted were sanctioned by our country. A third was born in a toilet and was moving before another clinic employee grabbed it and severed its spinal cord. If that's not enough to make angels weep, I don't know what will. But you see, this is the home of the brave, the land of the free. This is, in many people's eyes, God's chosen nation. That's false. America is not God's chosen nation. We are a nation blessed with liberty by a gracious, providential God. God's nation today is the church. And when we talk about America, the reason we are allowing, sanctioning ungodly practices like abortion is because we have turned a deaf ear to the word of God and we have said in many respects, in many sectors all across our society, we don't need God anymore. We're bigger than God. Well, let me tell you what, there's a payday coming someday. We just need, we just need to be aware of that. I mentioned a moment ago what occurs during the 12th week of pregnancy. At 14 weeks, muscles lengthen and become organized. 15 weeks, the fetus has an adult's taste buds and may be able to savor the mother's meals. 16, 16 weeks, five and a half inches tall and six ounces in weight. Eyebrows, eyelashes, and fine hair appear. The child can grasp with his hands, kick, or even somersault. Now, Think about that. And then make the correlation to the laws of our land allowing abortions up to 24 weeks. Let me say this. There are going to be some people past and present in our country that are going to stand before Almighty God. And he's going to want to know why they performed abortions, why they condoned abortions, why they continued to support abortions despite the evidence. So, living righteously in an unrighteous world, in an unrighteous nation, to me, abortion and abortion alone says that as American citizens, we have a lot of blood on our hands from Washington on down. And the Supreme Court justices who allowed abortion practices to begin in 1973, those men have 55 million innocent babies 
to answer to God for. And the toll is counting. What about homosexuality? Is it not the case that in America that an agenda has been in place for quite some time and that many people are now on board with the homosexual lifestyle? The president of our nation has said that he condones or that he believes in, supports homosexual marriage. We, we talk about the implications of that to us. And sometimes we say, well, we live in the Bible Belt, and that's not, that's not necessarily the case in terms of our belief system. Don't be so sure of that. Did you know that our young folks, did you know that they are being indoctrinated? They are being sold a bill of goods by the media, by politicians, by entertainment, that homosexuality is acceptable? Well, I came across an interesting article that was written by Hugh Fulford not long ago, just, as a matter of fact, just the other day. Let me just read for you what he has said because it really, I think, depicts where we are as a nation in terms of our moral standard. He said, in reading the Nashville Tennessean, May the 21st of this year, he learned that country music entertainer Shelley Wright had given birth to twins. He said, interestingly and strangely, Wright is the quote-unquote husband in a lesbian marriage. Kind of odd to me. She became pregnant in January, but as any junior high school kid knows, a woman, as a woman, cannot impregnate either another woman or a man as a man. And he said, strange though what one can learn from reading the newspaper. A husband has become a mother, but I suppose she will be the daddy. A sign of the times. And let me ask this question. When your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren come home and say they want to go spend the night with one of their friends at school, and as you begin to investigate a little bit of background information about where your child wants to go spend the night, what are you going to do if they say, oh, by the way, he or she has two mamas or two daddies. What are you going to do? You going to let them go? You going to use it as a teaching opportunity? How are you going to handle that? Listen to what he said. Fulford said, the promoters of homosexuality maintain an in-your-face agenda via TV, movies, print, marches, demonstrations, and local and state legislation, le legislation to make their immor immorality acceptable. He said, unfortunately, they are gaining ground. In the Tennessean of May 22, 2013, listen to this. It was reported that according to a poll conducted by Vanderbilt University, 49% of Tennesseans support gay marriage or civil unions, while 46% are opposed to both. According to the paper, the poll results suggest a marked shift in Tennesseans' views since 2006, when 81% of the voters approved an amendment to the, to, state, to the state constitution defining marriage between one man and one woman as the only legally recognized marital contract in the state. 
You know what that says? It says people are being brainwashed. They're buying in. People are buying in to the homosexual lifestyle. Right here in, in the Mid-South area. It's going on right under our noses. He went on to say two days later, the May 24 edition of the Tennessean emblazoned the front page of its main section with the top headline, Scouts Lift Ban on Gay Boys. The article went on to report that the National Council of the Boy Scouts of America had voted by 61% to allow openly gay boys into its organization. He said the Middle Tennessee Council fought the policy change to the end but agreed to abide by the decision of the National Council. A, skate, a scout executive from Middle Tennessee said, it's obviously a historic day for the scouting organization. Think about that. Boy Scouts of America jumped on the bandwagon. How do we define what's right and wrong? Who is it that legislates what's truth or error, good or bad? Do you remember what Isaiah said centuries ago? Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Let me tell you what. That, that verse pictures our society. We don't even know what's right and wrong anymore. And the reason is because we don't know what God says in his word. And to be, to be very blunt, there are a lot of folks that just don't care. They really don't care. I mean, you think about, think, think if you would for just a minute about politicians and other leaders in our country that say they believe Scripture. Some will even profess to be a quote-unquote Christian. And then they say, well, gay marriage is acceptable. Well, if I'm reading the same Bible that they have supposedly been reading. My Bible says that practicing homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. End of argument. It is what it is. Now, there are a lot of folks that don't want to hear that. And I don't want, I don't want anybody to confuse what I'm saying and leave thinking that we have the right to be ugly, caustic, arrogant, or even hateful to people who choose to live that kind of lifestyle. We don't have that right, and we shouldn't. We should not in any way be mean-spirited toward those people. But we have the right to stand up and say, hey, look, this is what God says. Now, in our country, we have... We have openly endorsed, by and large, the homosexual lifestyle and movement. Who's going to stand up in our country, who's going to stand up in Washington and say to the president or members of Congress or Senate or whomever, who's going to stand up and say, look, God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they are an example to us today, to all who will live ungodly. We can like it, we cannot like it. The truth is, that's what the book says. And it will not change. It is what it is. 
truth is what people need to be concerned about. We are living in an, in an era when people are so concerned about being politically correct. Can you imagine a politician standing up today wanting to be a president or a senator or a congressman? I'd like to see somebody who has a little bit of backbone stand up and say, you know what, I believe homosexuality is sinful because God says it is. How many votes do you think he'd get? Probably not many. But you know what? I would respect somebody like that. I would respect somebody standing up. And I think that the time has come for us as God's people to stand up and say, Hey, look, this is our nation just as much as it is your nation. And this is what God has said. This is the standard. And this is how we ought to live. We don't have to be ugly about it. Paul said we are to speak the truth in love, but we ought to speak the truth. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people. That's you and me. To say or do nothing. Just sit back and don't do anything. And guess what? The devil will have a heyday. The devil's having a heyday in this country. Not just in this country, but around the globe. But... We see it because we live here. And then let me cite for you another issue that I think suggests that we are a changing nation. What about the number of couples that are cohabitating without marriage? You ever thought about that? The number of people in our nation that are living together, they haven't, they haven't married. They, they have not exchanged vows, but they are living as man and wife. You know what the Hebrew writer said? He said, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. They call it shacking up today. And there are a whole lot of folks that are shacking up. And let me tell you this. There are some folks that are members of the church who are shacking up. Paul said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Why, Paul? Why would you need to abstain from fornication? Because the Bible says that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then add to this the number of unwed couples that are having children. Did Paul not say that the younger women ought to marry and then bear children? I mean, look at, look at the number of people in our world today having children out of wedlock. And you know what? They don't think anything about it. They don't have a problem with it. And sometimes folks in the Lord's church will have children out of wedlock, and they don't have a problem with it. Well, God has a problem with it. Because you see, God said that the sexual relationship is to be confined to marriage. Marriage. What's happening in our society? What about the abdication of parental responsibilities in the home? I think about the number of, of children that are being born into this world by mamas and daddies that have absolutely no nurturing, caring, loving inclinations whatsoever. 
There are a lot of folks that are having babies. But you see, when you have a baby, there are responsibilities attached to it. Those responsibilities are physical, mental, material, and spiritual. In Luke 2.52, the Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and men. That is a well-rounded child. There are a lot of kids in our, in our society today, they are materially and spiritually bankrupt. And whose fault is that? Let me tell you whose fault it is. It is the mama's fault and the daddy's fault in many cases. How many children have no idea who their daddy is? How many children have never laid eyes on their daddy? And then I think about a mother bringing a child into the world and walking away from that child. Did you know that some mothers would place their child in a garbage bin or try to flush that baby down a commode? Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, people who are without natural affection. That's exactly what he's talking about, family love or the lack thereof. We got a lot of bad parents in our country. We, we, we've got some people in our country that aren't fit to be mamas and daddies. It's a shame. And then there is the use of profanity. A lot of folks don't see anything wrong with using bad language there was a time when mamas and daddies too I guess if, if they heard their son or daughter use profanity you know what they did they washed their mouth out with soap and guess what it worked there's some folks today need to have their mouths washed out and not just young people older folks too and not just men, but women. Because you see, there are a lot of ladies that can outcuss a man in our society today. But Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And then I would mention those who have a problem telling the truth. We say sometimes they hedge on the truth. Just a little white lie. Well, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, that all liars, A-L-L, -L, all liars, will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. You see, you have to be truthful. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and you know no. Just be a person of truth. In no way have I been exhaustive in this study, but I just want to bring these things to the fore because here's the point. We're trying to live righteously in an unrighteous world, in an unrighteous society. And don't think that what we're talking about is exclusive to America. If you were to go overseas to some other country, in many cases just as bad, if not worse. The reason is because the devil is alive and well and at work. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, whom we stand steadfast in the faith. I close by reading to you again 2 Peter chapter 2. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly.
and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Does it hurt us to see what's going on in our nation? Yes, it does. What's the answer? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question in closing. Are you a Christian? Have you become a child of God? Are you a part of God's family? If you, if you haven't, here's what you need to do. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And the, the assurance is God will add you to the church. You'll be a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved. Acts 2.47. And if you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. Would you come as we stand and sing?